Personnel vetting reform has been among the so-called cross-government performance initiatives in recent years. The reforms are still in motion, but they're already paying off in one area, how much it costs agencies for security clearance investigations. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday joins me with the latest. These reforms, these cross-cutting reforms, what are they? How are they working? Give us the background update here, Justin. Yeah, so it's all under Trusted Workforce 2.0, this initiative that really started in the Trump administration and has been carried forward under the Biden White House to update how personnel are vetted, uh, especially using the security clearance background investigation process as a springboard. And the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency has been implementing those reforms, trying to make things faster, more streamlined. They just announced their background investigation product rates for fiscal 2024. And uh, for the third year in a row, costs are going down uh, for fiscal 24. It'll be 18% less than it is for this current year for background investigations across the different tiers of investigations that DCSA provides. And a lot of that is chalked up to continuous vetting, which has replaced periodic reinvestigations uh, using kind of automated data pulls and uh, automated records checks. So that's where they're seeing a lot of the costs going down. It's hard to prove a negative that something did not happen, but do they know how well continuous vetting is actually working? It's still pretty new. Yeah, there's 4.5 million people in continuous vetting now. That's the national security workforce. So military personnel, DOD civilians and contractors. And they're all under that system. They have been for about a year. Bill Lietzow, the director of DCSA, spoke at an event hosted by the Intelligence and National Security Alliance yesterday. And he talked about how continuous vetting is working so far. The benefit that we get from that is that we're finding concerning behaviors or activities or indicia of reliability much sooner than if we were doing it every five year or every 10 year. We've done some number crunching and we're thinking we're finding things about for a top secret about two years before we would normally find it for a secret about seven years before. Last year alone, we referred over 2,000 cases to law enforcement or to some insider threat hub beyond just suspending eligibility for clearance. So we found like things that needed to be criminally prosecuted because of continuous vetting. Well, we know INSA is not in the sound business. And what are the latest numbers on the time it takes to process a background investigation? Because that was always the big problem. Yeah, even with the move to continuous vetting, agencies still need to do the background investigations on the front end when someone comes into being employed by a federal government by the federal government or by contractors in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2022 the latest numbers we have it took an average of 76 days to get through a case where someone was applying for a secret level security clearance and then for top secret cases it took an average of 127 days during that same time period it sounds like a long time but obviously those numbers are way down from the peak of the background investigations backlog a few years ago then it was taking more than 400 days on average to get through top secret clearance cases and more than 200 days for secret so those numbers have gone way down and by the way this applies to people applying for contractor clearance also that's right those numbers are pulled from the fastest 90 percent of cases across both uh, agencies and contractors. So there's some outliers that are included in there, but it's the fastest uh, 90%. And DCSA says it's using big data analytics. That's a word that's been around a few years, too, to improve background investigations. What did they mean by that? This is the question that Litsau got during the INSA event, and he had an interesting answer. Uh, DCSA is piloting some tools 
that could help it look back across all of its data from its history of cases that it's investigated and adjudicated to determine why certain cases turned out one way so maybe they can be more predictive in the future. Here's Leetzow again. We have ways of using big data analytics to look at all the adjudications we did over a period of time and which ones came out a certain way and what were the things that we might be able to identify as a good indicator that this one deserves more scrutiny than others in ways we wouldn't have known before. We've got test programs that have looked at that. We've been testing different products out there to see their ability to pull data that might be useful. We're still in the kind of investigation stage of how we can best use those tools. Again, that's Bill Leitzow of DCSA. And Justin, there are some proposed changes to the SF-86. That's not a fighter jet of yesteryear, but a form for clearance. And there's a new proposed personnel vetting questionnaire. Did he address that question about reforming that horrible form that everybody hates, SF-86? Yeah, those reforms are uh, already happening. The Office of Personnel Management published a new proposed personnel vetting questionnaire in November in the Federal Register. It's now reviewing the comments it received on that, but that new one essentially consolidates several different forms, including the SF-86, into one questionnaire. It also cleans up some of the language. It makes a number of different changes. One of the big ones is around the questions it asks on mental health. Uh, They've already been changing that in the current SF-86 a bit, but this latest proposal really hones in on things that need treatment or potential hospitalization. They don't want to rule out people or have people rule themselves out just because they went to see a therapist for anxiety, essentially. Bill Leitzow talked a little bit about that as well. DCSA is not in charge of the policy, but it does run the investigations. Here's what he said. What is clear is getting mental health assistance will always be encouraged. The last thing we're going to do is put a set of questions in there that if you reveal that you're getting mental health assistance from a professional, that that somehow hurts you in your ability to clearance. That is what we're going to make sure doesn't happen. It already doesn't happen. That's not a area of concern, but it's an area where there's misinformation out there. So there will be a lot of scrutiny put on the questions that are related to mental health to make sure that we get the right answers that are talking about relevant items and not going off into some kind of a fishing expedition for if the person ever had mental health problems. And that's Bill Leitzow, director of DCSA. All right. It sounds to me then, Justin, to summarize all this, they've got their process down. It's a matter of refining it and just keeping chipping away at the efficacy of it and getting it cheaper and faster, but no fundamental change then is further needed? I think what they're doing is they've got their goals in mind, and now they're putting the policy into place uh, along a number of different lines. You see uh, Trusted Workforce 2.0 updates that come out of the uh, Performance Accountability Council from the White House, and there's just a, a list of dozens of policy actions that have happened, are happening, or still need to happen to change this whole vetting process across government. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, 
visit specialolympics.org get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when you'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, 
I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the greatest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.